Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you today? David, thank you again for jumping in and leading for, for Ben. Um, this has kind of been a crazy season for us on staff with um, Bert being out. Um, Kyle and Ben are both on retreats with their separate, we have about 50 kids in college, middle school, high school, um, kind of in separate directions on retreats this weekend. And so um, really great things happening, um, but that leaves us a little shorthanded here. And we have guys like David and Ben willing to jump in and stand up here. And, and so thank you so much. If you're online with us, we're glad you are here as well. So this is week eight. Um, we're going to spend one more week in First Peter next week as we kind of wrap up. But I'm just going to start, I'm going to read this passage and then we'll get going from there. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. And I'll, I'll just be honest, kind of cards on the table, I struggle so much preaching this passage. I was kind of joking with Mike and David. It was like one of those where I was like, I'll just kind of skip over this one and maybe no one will notice that we didn't really hit on this. And the reason I struggle with it is because I do not, I have not faced persecution for my faith. And I think that when we do say that we experience persecution here in our country in our context, I think it's an insult to those around the world who truly do face persecution because of their faith in Christ. And it's a really dangerous path to begin down the road where we believe that our world is the world. And that the things we experience here, everyone else experiences them in the exact same way. Because without a doubt, there are people all over our world who are facing true, true persecution for their faith. From time to time, I'll jump on Voice of the Martyrs on their website and just kind of look through stories. I want to just kind of share a couple of stories that kind of set the context of, of what I was talking about. Ottoman was on an evangelistic outreach. And a young group of Muslim men broke into his house where he was staying, attacked him and a Muslim friend he was sharing the gospel with. The assailants beat him, 
with clubs and machetes. They also beat his friend because he was associating with a Christian. The friend was not severely injured and rushed him to the hospital. And after several months and numerous surgeries, remarkably, he survived. But he lost the use of his right hand and developed a speech impediment. His Muslim friend was shocked by how his Islamic brothers had treated his friend and said, if that is how they act, I want nothing to do with Islam anymore. Because of this attack, he was no longer able to work and support his family. Brother Max found himself seeking God through Islam when he met Jesus. And he found a peace he had never experienced before. And after finding that peace, he wanted to tell everyone he knew. But he was not prepared with how his community would react and the persecution he would experience. He found it very natural to talk about Jesus with the people he had known before his salvation. They could see his life was drastically different, and they wanted an explanation. And he was eager to share God's love with those who asked. He told them he found his passport to heaven. But leaving Islam is not permitted. And his family and community persecuted him for his faith in Christ. His father could see that Max's life was different and had changed for the better, but he still urged him to return to Islam. He told his father, if I take Jesus out of my heart, I will become the old Max again. And he challenged his father to read the New Testament. Persecuted first by those who knew him, Max and his witness for Christ soon drew the attention of the government. He was arrested and interrogated by several police. It was a frightening experience. His legs shook with fear as the police questioned him and forced him to write a confession that would be used against him, dictating the words he was supposed to write. Christians gathered outside the police station praying for Max during the interrogation. And the presence and the prayers of his Christian brothers and sisters encouraged Max, and a holy boldness came over him. He turned the table on the police and began asking questions of them instead of answering theirs. Because of his faithful witness, the prosecutor surrendered his life to Jesus. Avodia, age 14, and her mother were captured in a town of Cabo Delgado province. It was overrun by ISIS terrorists. Her attacks killed her brother in front of her because of her Christian faith. She was then forced, she was then tortured and forced to become a prostitute. She and her mother spent eight months living in captivity with her captors before finally escaping. And I read stories like that. And not just in these countries, but countries all around the world where people do experience true persecution because of their faith in Christ. And I just have to say, I haven't experienced that. I think what we might be able to relate to well in this idea is the idea of honor and shame. Because my guess is you have all experienced some form of honor and shame because of what you believe. 
maybe as a kid, maybe as an adult, maybe growing up, you were made fun of because of your faith or laughed at or mocked. Maybe as an adult, you were left out or uninvited. I know my wife and I have talked about on several occasions, it feels like there's times when we are uninvited to something where our younger friends are getting together. And while it's like, I, I know there's a part of us that doesn't really want to be a part of it, there's also the part of us that's like, man, we're left out because of our faith, because of what we believe. And so I think there's this, this level that we relate to, but then there's also this acknowledgement that there are people around the world that we need to be praying for who are going through sincere, sincerely difficult times because of what they believe. And, and there's part of me that's just thank God that we don't have to experience this here. Now, now, there might be a day that comes in our country where we have to go through that and we have to experience that. But my guess is for most of you, you have not had to suffer persecution because of your faith. But I, I want us to, to kind of go through and walk through some of these, these ideas and this passage here. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. The good news is it's only a test. Right? That's the good news. It's only a test. Anyone not a good test taker? So I had a, a teacher in high school, Garland High School, when I was a sophomore, and his class, he taught a history class, and he wasn't your typical coach, um, history teacher that you have in high school. He was an A&M graduate, a young guy, and he wanted to be the cool guy on campus. And so the first semester of his class was the easiest class I have ever taken. Everyone, I think, made A's in his class there, there was nothing that ever challenged us. There was no homework that was ever given. And then something happened over the Christmas vacation. Because we came back to school and he was a different teacher. But we didn't know it. And so he's telling us the whole semester, and he hadn't been giving us much work. He's telling us the whole semester is, hey, we're fixing to have a test. It's a big test. It's going to be really hard. You need to study for it. Um, it's going to determine whether you pass or fail for the class. And, of course, we've had nothing really difficult for the entire year, and he's kind of set that precedent. And so we're just assuming, ah, whatever, yeah, it's not a big deal. And so, like a 15-, 16-year-old kid, I decided I'm not going to study for this test, just like I hadn't for any of the others. And I got in that day, and I took the test, and I bombed it. And I knew I bombed it. And I walked out of that thinking, oh, that's not, not good. And so I go back to, to class a couple of days. We were on a block schedule. I go back to class the next time we are in class, and I get my paper back. And I think I had made like a 50-something on the test. And that 50 fell right at the end of the six weeks. And it gave me a 68 in the class. If you know anything about the way that works, that was the six weeks that made you eligible for the start of baseball season. 
And so I had a 68. And so I went to Mr. Modal. I'll call you out on TV. I don't, I'm assuming you're not listening. If you are, this is all your fault. Um, I, I went to him and I said, I'm going to miss baseball. Is there anything that I can do to bump my grade up from a 68 to a 70? And he said, yes. Go home. You can watch these five movies. They were all like war, World War I, World War II movies. Um, and you need to write a two-page paper on each one. And I'll give you so many points. And this is a Friday, and I have till Monday to get it in. Okay, this is back when you actually handed in paper to someone. Had to Monday, and so I bring it to him on Monday, and I get my grade on my report card. He gave me a 69.6 and refused to round up. Refused to round up. And so I missed six weeks of baseball my sophomore year. And I was furious with Mr. Modal. Because obviously this is Mr. Modal's fault that I'm not playing baseball. Or at least that's the story I told myself. Until I realized that, no, this was my fault. And if I had done things even just slightly differently than I had, I would have passed that class. I would have still been eligible. But that's what we typically ask, right? It's, it's a test. Did we pass or fail? I'm sure many of you have heard the story of Cassie Benault. She was a 17-year-old junior at Columbine High School. And the story goes in the book her mom wrote about her, her, her ordeal is that one of the gunmen held a gun to her at, and asked, do you believe in God? And when she answered yes, she was shot. And you can think, well, that's a pass or fail test, right? That's one that you've got to get right. In our mind, that's the only answer. Did I, did I pass or did I fail? Or maybe like me, who is to blame? Whose fault was this? Because surely it wasn't mine. It was the people that forced this on me. Or maybe like Job, is it God's fault? Is it Satan's fault? Who is the one that caused this? But there's a spirit buried deep inside of that thinking. Right? It's the spirit of the accuser, of the deceiver. The one who is simply trying to rip this world apart at the seams. And in seeking to find that person to blame, we're seeking to take a prisoner. Someone that we can hold in captive and have to answer for what they did. But the problem in finding that person to blame is the only one that's held in captivity by it is ourselves. We're held in captivity to what that person did because we refuse to let go of it and we refuse to move on 
and we refuse to forgive. Right? And it's, it's easy to talk about and say, well, when you face difficult times, there, there's part of you that has to resemble Christ and resemble this one who on the cross said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. But that's another thing to actually live like that when you're in this fiery ordeal. When you're actually going through really difficult times and when you're facing persecution or you're facing shame, it's really difficult in those times to let the person off. See, and, and we go through difficult times, like bad things happen, we all understand that. And I think there's like one of three reasons, we've talked about this before. Sometimes bad things, um, they just happen, right? Or I'm sorry, others' choices, we'll get there in a minute. Because of others' choices. Sometimes bad things happen because of our choices. Like we do things at times that bring um, difficulty on us. We, we face difficult times at times because others do things that bring pain on us. But then there's that, that third category. I think it's the one that's really difficult to deal with. It's sometimes bad things happen because bad things just happen. When we experience difficulty in this world, we experience in those hardships. But, but what, he's, what Peter's talking about here is number two. When, when others' choices and the way others live affect you, when, when they bring things on your life, he says this test, this fiery ordeal shouldn't surprise you as you walk through it. You think of Noah. And God tells him, you're going to go build this ark. And people are going to mock you and ridicule you and make fun of you. But you're going to have the faith to see this through. Or to Abraham, you're going to leave your country and your family. You're going to leave everything behind you. And you're going to go to a place that I'm going to show you. And when he does and he follows and he gets there, God comes to him and he says, you're going to offer your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, on this as a sacrifice. Like that's a test. That's a, te that's a test. Or Jonah. You're going to go to the country of Nineveh. And you're going to share the, the good news. You're going to preach against their wickedness. And Jonah runs the other direction. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are faced with the promise of a fiery furnace and refuse to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. Or Daniel, who faces the lion's den. Or Peter, who faces an angry crowd after he's promised that he would not deny Jesus. Or even Peter when he's told to get up, kill and eat. Right? This is a test. This is a test. And the only obvious thing we can do is pass or fail. But what was the original purpose of a test? Was the original purpose just to say, yes, you can move on from this point? Or no, you can't. The test was designed to see where you are. It was a, a measurement and it wasn't just simply about passing or failing. 
Like there's only one answer. Because the things we ask is, did we pass or fail? Whose fault is it? Who's to blame? We don't ask, did we survive? Did, Did we make it through it? How did we grow through the fire and through the flames? Maybe where is God in the midst of this test? Or what ways is God sustaining me in this test? With all I've lost, am I still moving forward? Am I being reminded of how little control I truly have? And my need to rely on God Because the the truth is you're going to face these tests in in your faith journey throughout your life. And some of them may be these moments in these fiery furnaces where you're experiencing difficulty and you're experiencing, experiencing pain and persecution. But some might not be from other people. For some, the fiery ordeal might be a loss. It might be a diagnosis. It might be something you're experiencing at work. It might be shame. But one of the things we've said over and over and over is God will take you to places that you've not chosen to go in order to produce in you what you're incapable of producing on your own. That it's not just simply about pass or fail. It's a question of are you growing and moving forward in the midst of the hard times? Because what Peter wants these these Christians to know is that Jesus suffered immensely for what He was doing here on earth. And if you follow Him and you carry His name, you will suffer at times as well. It's going to be difficult. And, And our Our mind is we need to stand up and we need to fight with all we have against it. But what's really difficult is that's not what Jesus did. That's not how Jesus responded. And and so the, the one who spent more time probably than anyone else with Jesus is Peter. And I want you to listen to what he says to these followers as they're going through these difficult persecutions. It says, so then, verse 19, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. So so to those who suffer, those who are going through really difficult times, commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. And I think we have this problem in our context is is we confuse do good with be good. Like that's what we're we're taught from a really young age is you need to be good. In fact, last week we went through a whole list of things that, that you need to stop doing. But it wasn't just stop doing those things because they're bad. And that's what God expects from you. It was stop pursuing these things because there's no inherent goodness in them. 
They aren't moving you forward as you follow Jesus. And so you're leaving them behind because you're pursuing something greater. You're pursuing something bigger in Christ. And it's this realization that it's not just simply about moralistic behavior. It's about Christ-centric life. It's not just simply do good. I'm sorry, it's not simply be good. It's do good. Back when I was in kindergarten, y'all are going to think I was a really, really bad student one of these days. I've told you all 12 bad things I've ever done. Okay. But when I was in kindergarten, I had Miss Souter, and I was really, really a good student, especially in kindergarten. Um, phenomenal. And there was this one day where I was in class and I was kind of chit-chatting with some friends beside me and I got my name written on the board. Okay. And Miss Souter had a rule. Like if you get your name written on the board one time, your parents are never going to find out. It's just going to be between us. But that day when I went out to meet my mom, she said, no, I've got to go ask Miss Souter a question. We've got to go find her. And so we walked, my mom and I walked back into Miss Souter's room, and I was doing everything I could to keep her attention to one side of the classroom <laughs> so that she wouldn't look up at the chalkboard and see my name and see that I got in trouble that day. Right? And, and that was, in my mind, that was the goal in kindergarten, like behavior-wise, don't get your name written on the chalkboard. That was it. If you don't get your name written on the chalkboard, everything is good. And I think that mentality kind of slides over into our lives as followers of Jesus. Right? Let's stop doing these things that are bad that God doesn't want us to do. See, see here's the thing. Is God is, is not saying don't do those because he doesn't want you to have fun. He's saying that because he knows what's best for you. He realizes there's no, there's no good in it. And so when he talks about the, the drinking and the, the adultery and sex outside of marriage and all those things that, that he says don't do these things, it's because ultimately... It damages you. And God loves you enough that he says, hey, don't live your life like that. And so as we start following Jesus, we, we realize like there's no goodness in that. And one of the things I hope you see in Peter's letter, above everything else, that time and time again, he says to these people who are going through persecution because of their faith, that regardless of what you are going through, regardless of what you're experiencing, you are a witness for Christ and for the good news of the gospel. And the world gets to see what God is like through your life. the way that you live, the way that you walk through difficulty, the way that you bear His name. Jesus' goal was never to be good. It was to do good. 
in this world. And if we stop at just simply being good, the world does not get to see the goodness of God through your life. See, because you were called to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people that was set apart, who belonged to God, who was different than the rest of the world, who wasn't in this just for themselves. Or as he said last week, you are stewards of grace. And you have been handed this immense, beautiful gift of the grace of God. And you get to steward it. And so whether it's God's grace being given to you or whether it's persecution, how will you handle what you have been handed? How will you handle what you have been handed? Will the world see the goodness of God through you? Because doing good brings transformation. It brings transformation in your life, but it also brings transformation in the lives of those who you come in contact with every single day. And I just I try to think so often, like how how do I respond in difficult situations? When I go through difficult times, how do I respond? And I want to remind you of these words. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the, the right cheek, turn them the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give them your coat as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven who causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those, only love those who love you, what reward will you get? Do not even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet just your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? And he says to them, therefore, be perfect. Like your Father in heaven is perfect. And as Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, his prayer, his prayer is about transformation. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. That you and I have the blessing of bringing God's kingdom into this world. I'm sure most of you remember a book that was written, I think, in the late 70s. Made a big revival in the 90s by a guy named Charles Shelton. And it asked a really important question. What would Jesus do? In fact, we had bracelets growing up in the 90s. Maybe even some of you have those today. What would Jesus do? 
trying to put yourself into the, the, the mindset that if Christ were right here, right now, experiencing what I'm experiencing, faced with what I'm faced with, how would Jesus respond? And then begging and pleading God to transform me so that I can respond like Christ. Because here's the thing, is that does not come natural. As you're facing persecution, as you're left out, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're... does not come natural. I promise you it's not my first inclination. But it helps when we kind of step back and we take inventory and we ask, like, how, how would Jesus have responded in that situation? And, and so many times I find that's probably not how Jesus would have responded at all. And I think that's where we just hit our knees and say, God, I know that that didn't look very much like you. And how you would have responded if you were in my situation. And so God transformed me and make me more like Jesus. And then we step back the next time we ask, and God, I still need your train. I still need your heartbeat. I still need to be more and more like you because I'm pursuing you. Because what Peter wants this church to know is regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how difficult times may be, regardless of what this test brings on you, you are the witness for Christ. And the only way the world will see God's goodness might be through your life and the way that you respond. And so God, make me more like you every single day. Because what strikes me in this letter, because I, I think if I were writing this letter to people who were facing persecution, I think my letter would say something like, I'm praying that you make it through it. And I'm praying for your safety in it. And what Peter says is regardless of what happens, regardless of what you endure, Jesus is king over all the earth. And as you have surrendered your life to Him, you represent Him in this world. Don't ever forget it. See, here's the thing. is people are always watching. People are always watching. My question for you this morning is what do they see? Do they see Jesus as you go through and endure those difficult times? Do they see Jesus through your life and through mine? Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your grace. And Father, we can confess that we don't face 
some of the fiery ordeals that people around this world do. And so, Father, this this morning my prayer is for their safety and for their well-being. But as Peter prayed, that above everything else they would represent Jesus well. And Father, it would remind us that we have the same responsibility. And even if the threat is not as big, we still face these tests. These tests that help grow us and transform us to make us more like You. And it is our prayer, Father, that we would represent the name of Jesus well. We thank You for the gift of grace. And we pray that we would steward it well. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to have our shepherds and their spouses around the back of the auditorium. If we could help you in any way as you follow Jesus, if you never have surrendered your life to Him, today would be a great day to do that. Whatever we could help you with, you can go while we stand and sing.